Good morning. It is very cold. <laughs> All right, I'm just saying. It's, uh, it's probably not very cold in a month from now, but it's cold for today. So, um, you know, something funny about people um, is we don't like to be last, you know? We don't like to be last. It, it, it's, it's amazing um, whether we're driving you know, uh, yesterday I was driving along, and it's funny because this message was on my mind, and, and as we're going, a car started to pass me, and I wouldn't let him. And I was thinking, you're being ridiculous. Why is it important, you know? But, but it's just this innate desire to do that. The grocery store line, two carts coming, you know, two carts coming from both. You kind of want to go a little bit faster because you want to be first in line. We, we have this innate desire. We want to be first. We don't want to be last. Or, or what about the potluck dinner, you know? Now, if you're like me, sometimes being last really is being first, because with the potluck dinner, if you wait, you don't know what you missed out on, okay? Second, you don't have to worry about it. Like, you don't have to, like, you know, you take small portions to make sure everybody else gets something. If you're last, you get whatever you want, right? So it's, it's one of those things, but, but in, in, in the weird sort of way, even being last is really not being last in our mind. Um, maybe even do this with communion, you know? I watch people want to be first in the communion line, and maybe that's for safety reasons or whatever, but it's funny. Do you want to be last? Do you want to, you know, where do we go? And, and sometimes we choose to, we, we choose to um, like I said, to be last, to be really first. And, and it's really about um, maybe even something internal, like I'm going to be last so that people think I'm being kind. So am I really just being first? Where's my heart? Where's my head in all of this? It's, it's amazing. But Jesus has been spending a lot of time in the last few weeks. We've been looking through scripture as, as, as in Matthew and, and kind of looking at this whole point of the first being last and last being first. And there's a lot of stuff going on here. Um, I know some people, some people seem to have a natural aversion to put others first. Okay? There are a few of you. Um, that are like that. They just, you, you have this natural aversion to do that. And hopefully most of us are, are, are learning this in our lives as well. We're uh, allowing the Holy Spirit to bring this about in us and we're, we're becoming more like Jesus, hopefully, and we're allowing to do that. But overall, it's just not our nature to be last. Um, and this shows up in a lot of different ways in our lives, um, not just the literal lines. I remember back in high school playing football. Um, we had this one assistant coach that um, he was our line coach. And of course, being a not so fast but very large uh, person that could push people around, I was on the line, and that's what I did. And um, so our line coach, he played favorites. He had these two two guys on our team that were his favorites. And and you know, I don't think as I really process through this now as an adult, I don't think that it was that I was bothered that they were favorites or got treated differently. I was bothered that I wasn't being treated that way. I, I wanted to be with them. I wanted to be first. I wanted to be in that group. I wanted, you know, to have special treatment. I was jealous, and I think that's what happens to a lot. Uh, the rest of us on the line would talk about those two. We would kind of backbite and talk about them and stuff. And, and, and the reality was we, we just wanted to be treated that way too. We felt like it was unfair, and, <clears throat> and we deserve something. Um, so it's, it, but then... Um, 
Anyway, what I was going to say is that we often find ourselves desiring this position or place of power over others. And maybe it's not like power as in a dictator. I don't mean that. Like some people love to be autocratic and dictatory, and they like to... Dictatory, that's a good word, right? Um, they like to tell other people what to do all the time and that kind of stuff. But I think a lot of times it doesn't come out that way. You just want to be in a position where you're not getting told what to do. You like to be in that. And it's not always overt. I mean, I don't want to leave out those of us that are passive aggressive, right? We, we often, especially in the church, we find ways to be in control but not act like we are. And so we're still not wanting to be last. It's, it's, it's amazing um, how we do this. And, and it just seems that it's been ingrained in us uh, or we have some sort of a bent toward looking out for numero uno. Are you tracking with me? Is everybody tracking here? All right, good. And uh, clearly, like I said, this isn't something new. Jesus has, has been teaching us this um, from, the, from the get-go. But with his disciples, he spent a lot of time coming back to this often. And, um, and that's why we often um, call the kingdom of God the upside-down kingdom. Jesus taught there was a different way. There was a completely different way. Uh, his attitude or mindset didn't exactly or at all line up with um, the way the world teaches. You know, and the way he instructed his disciples, his followers to live was completely different. I mean, think about it. The king of kings and lord of lords comes as a humble servant. That's just upside down. He didn't demand his way or his rights. He didn't act out of a position or place of power over others, even though he very well could have. Instead, he came to serve mankind in a way that would require his very life. <clears throat> so in this morning's passage, Matthew 20... If you want to turn there, Matthew chapter 20, and we are going to cover the whole chapter, so just get ready. <laughs> Again, when Brian asked me to do this, I looked at it and I said, Brian, you know, when I preached through Matthew, I did this in four sermons, and he said, well, you're going to do it in one. I said, oh, this will be fun. So buckle up, but I know it's cold, so we won't be here for a long time, okay? Um, but, uh, but in Matthew 20, we find Jesus bringing the disciples back to this foundational principle of his kingdom. The, the first will be last, and the last will be first. And in order to better understand this, um, we're going to break it down into four different pieces. We're going to look at a principle revisited, a plan reminded, a position requested, and a miracle received. And so we're going to look at those four things, and, and we'll jump into our text for this morning. We'll start with a principle revisited. All right. And it's one that, like I said, he keeps coming back to and back to and back to. But he starts this time with um, with at verse one with a uh, with a parable. And he says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them out into the vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. So they went. He went out again at noon and, and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found, uh, found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who were hired first, um, so when those who were hired first, so when those came who were hired first, sir, I can't read today, um, 
they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received the denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, am I not being fair? Am I not being unfair to you, friend? Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. So what in the world is Jesus teaching with this parable? Uh, it sounds just in incredibly ridiculous to me in a lot of ways. I'm thinking, I, I think I would be right there with the workers that worked all day long. Uh, you know, the other workers worked one hour or three hours and they got paid the same as me. And that really, you know, it just seems crazy. But, but if we look at this, what, what Jesus is saying is that God's desire is for all people to have eternal life. None of us can earn it. We don't deserve it. He gives it freely. So when he invites us in, it doesn't matter if we came in early or if we came in late. Grace is grace, and it's given for all of us. And so it's, it's amazing, um, but, it's, but it's a free gift. And so what did all of these workers have in common? They all needed work. They all needed help. They recognized their need, and they were dependent on the vineyard owner to provide that need. All right, so in order to gain a better understanding, we need to go back and look at the interactions Jesus had prior to this parable. We need to go back a few weeks and, 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 and go back into this. First of all, a while back, we talked about the children, and he said to bring the child in front of them, and he said that, that the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And, and what we learned is that children have nothing, really. You know, especially in that culture, they were thought of as nothing. They were almost property. They were imperfect. They weren't developed. They weren't mature. They weren't uh, productive members of society. They were just there. And the thing about that we need to learn that Jesus was pointing out is they had absolute dependence, absolute dependence on their parents. They, they had nothing, and they depended on the adults to care for them. And Jesus says, unless we become like one of these little ones, Unless we recognize our absolute dependence on the Father, you know, we can't enter the kingdom. And so that's what he tells us to do is to have that heart. So he told us about children. Then he, last week we talked about the rich young man. And he said it was harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom. What was he saying? He says, well, unlike the children, the children had nothing to offer this man felt like he had everything, right? He had all this stuff. He had fame and fortune, and he, had, he was a ruler, and he had wealth. And, and what he was interested in was adding to. He was interested in adding to his collection. He was like, what, what must I do to have eternal life? What must I do to add this to my collection? What must I do? And, and, and what we see here is that he didn't have an absolute dependence. He was very independent. Because then when Jesus said, we'll follow the commands, and he said, which ones? And he told him, these commands and he said well i've kept those which we talked about is pretty much ridiculous um you know to think that even just the simple fact of loving your neighbor as yourself have you always kept that command and yet he felt i've got this i've got this and he was very independent in that so you have children who were who who, who recognize they have nothing and they have absolute dependence and you have this man who says i have everything and i want to add this to it and, um, and then you have the disciples. 
They've been walking through this. Remember Jesus said, anyone who loses <clears throat> mother, father, you know, he goes through your family, your, your, your home, your anything. When you lose these things for the sake of, of my will, or for my sake, will, inherit eternal life. And so with the disciples, they left everything, right? So the children had nothing, the rich men had everything, and the disciples left everything and followed. They realized their imperfection, and they were learning dependence. Anybody in that category? I, I think that's where we are. As disciples, as followers, we're, we're learning dependence. We're kind of in this. So with these interactions in mind, it seems that Jesus is using this parable to give his disciples one more opportunity to grab a hold of, 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 of the fact that things are different in his kingdom than they are in the world. In his kingdom, those who seem to be last or least will be first, and those who seem to be first will be last. His kingdom is not about what we can do, Okay. It's about what he will do or really what he has done for us. And we need to understand that. So, so we look at a principle revisited. And second, we're going to come to this piece of a plan reminded. A plan reminded. It's amazing. Jesus, um, in the midst of this, he gives them this parable. And then he walks them into this. Just kind of almost seems out of the blue. It says, now as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside and said to them, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teacher of the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. Now remember what's been going on, okay? It's amazing. Um, uh, the kingdom, he, you know, he, he, he says the kingdom belongs to such as these kids, right? Absolute dependence. And he says the first will be last and the last will be first. Then as he's headed down or up, as it says, um, you know, it's kind of funny because Jerusalem, they always talk about going down because it's south, but it's really going up. It's kind of one of those weird deals in Scripture. can get confusing if you don't understand. But, but he takes the 12 aside, and he lays this big one on them. You know, he's like, bam, because they're headed. You know, they think the Messiah, they're rolling with them, and they're like his posse, his tribe, his guys. And, and the Messiah's come, and it's big, and he's, he's ready to, to let the world know, my kingdom is here. And and, and then he stops them and he says, oh, by the way, we're headed to Jerusalem where I'm going to get handed over and then they're going to kill me. <laughs> but don't worry, I'll be raised to life. And I, I'm just like, what? You know, it, it's amazing. Um, but this happens. And so and if you look back in Scripture, this was the third time that he tells them this, but this time with more details. He tells them that we're going to Jerusalem. And he says that I'll be handed over to the Gentiles to be uh, mocked and flogged and crucified and I believe, I believe the reason he stops and does this is because he's reminding them of just how upside down his kingdom is. He's reminding them of this is the way the king of the kingdom rolls into town. This is what he's about. And, and he's reminding them of their way and, and how they're to live. That the king of the kingdom would sacrifice his life for people sounds majestic to us. I mean, it's like Jesus he laid down his life for us. But if you think about this to the disciples at that point, it would have sounded ridiculous. I mean, they were, they were going with the Messiah thinking this is when it's going to happen. This is when he's going to free us from oppression. And, and then he says, oh, by the way, I'm going to die. Because my way of conquering is different than anything you've ever seen. I just, wow, you know, um, he, we see the first died for the last so that the last could experience the life of the first. 
Hopefully that makes sense to you. The first, Jesus died for the last, us, so that the last could experience the life of the first. And, and that's upside down. And so, you know, in this moment, I just have this picture. Jesus lays this on them, and he says, you know, it's the sobering truth. He reminds them of it again. And, and, and I'm just like, wow, this is heavy. And you'd think it would be this incredible time of reflection, but instead what we have is a position requested. Our third point, a position requested. It, it says in verse 20, then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons. And those are James and John, by the way, the sons of Zebedee. Uh, kneeling and with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him what is it you want he asked she said grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in the kingdom you don't know what you're asking jesus said to them can you drink the cup i'm going to drink we can they answered jesus said to them you will indeed drink from my cup but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant these places belong to those for whom they have been prepared for by my father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, there's a lot going on here. There's all kinds of stuff. But I want to start with why in the world did this conversation happen right now? You know, it, it just seems so out of the, out of the, like Jesus just said, I'm going to go, we're going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be handed over, I'm going to die, I'm going to be crucified, and then I'll be raised again. And then they say, hey, when you come into your kingdom, can I sit on your right and my brother sit on your left? You know, and, and that's what one of the gospels says. And this one, it says the mother actually brought them. Nothing like having your mom come and, you know, go to bat for you. Hey, my boys, you know, they, they love you. They're like following hardcore and they're with you. And can they, can they be on your right and your left? Can they have this position? And, and you know, really what, what's going on here is, is there's a lot of messianic stuff happening, all right? Um, he's coming into this. They're seeing him establishing his kingdom and, and all of this. It's unfolding. What they had been waiting for is it's, it's going to happen, whatever it is, however it is, it's, he's going to conquer. And, and so now, really, in their minds would be the time to make their power play. It's the time to, hey, this is it. This is the moment. James, John, we, come on, come with me. And the mom kneels down, does her best to say, hey, my boys, they, can, can they be on your right and your left? Because this is when he's going to establish his kingdom. This is a power play. It's a, it's a place of position. And, and, and it's amazing because Jesus says, what is it that you want? What is it that you want? And James and John say, to sit on your right and on your left in the kingdom. And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup that I'm about to drink? I mean, he just told him what he's about to drink. And, and it's amazing because James and John say, we can. I, I really, you know, it's funny when I read scripture, sometimes my initial reaction is, you dodo. What in the world are you thinking? You just so, we can, you know. But then the Holy Spirit brings me back to a place where I have to think about how many times have I done that? You know, 
how many times have we sat back and thought, well, I can do that. I can do that. I mean, I, I definitely want to. And, and I think for the disciples, you know, they probably felt they were best suited for Right, they were close to him. They were, you know, they were there. In fact, John was known as the beloved disciple, and here they were. And it's like, it's like this is this is a, you know, this is a good thing. This we we should be close to you. And we, you know, how many times have we done that? You know, said, I deserve it, and I think I can do it. I can do it. We can, and we put ourselves out there in ways that maybe we should say, Hey, Jesus, if you call me to it, I could do it. But, you know, so it's kind of one of those things, and, it, and it's, it's tough. It's, whew. and then Jesus answers, says, you will drink from my cup. But who sits on my right or my left is not for me to decide. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared for by my Father. I mean, the cup. The cup of suffering. The cup of glory. Both. You know, he says, you're going to experience life in me. You're going to drink from my cup. You're going to have me, my presence in you. That's going to happen. You, as my followers, are going to experience something beautiful, but you're also going to experience suffering, persecution, death, exile, incredible, incredible suffering, uh, laying down your life for others. It's, so what happens? The other 10 disciples get ticked, you know? Well, remember my football, f- football story? It's the same kind of thing, you know? They, they put themselves there. Is it that they're really mad at them for going to them? No, it's they're mad they didn't think of it first. They're mad that they didn't, you know, they're like, hey, wait, we want to. But then after they hear what happens, they're probably like, whoa, all right, you know? Um, I mean, think about this. Have you ever worked hard for and waited for a promotion or for a better seat at class or on a team or in, in, in your work. And, you, you know, you've worked so hard. You've put yourself out there only to see somebody else put their name in and get the promotion or get the award or get the position or get the... And, and you think, wait a minute. This is unfair. I deserved this. You know, that's where they were. They were like, hey, wait. We've all been trooping along here. We're all going for this. And what are you guys doing stepping up? And they're like... You know, you would have done this if we didn't. This was a power play. They were, they were moving into position. They were thinking they were anyway. And, and I look at this and I think Jesus' response was, you guys still don't get it. You still don't get it. Come here and let me explain. And he, he goes on then and he says, the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And I love this next line. He says, not so with you. <laughs> ah. They're looking for a position. They want power. They want to be at the right and the left. They want to be captain of the guard when the kingdom happens. They want to be moving from oppressed to oppressor. Maybe not. I'm going to take a little, little license there. But they definitely don't want to be oppressed anymore. They want to be in a position where they get to tell other people what to do, not be told what to do. And, and here they are. And, and he says, the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. Not so with you. I think he just is declaring that, saying, hey, guys, in case you missed it, that's not how my kingdom works. My kingdom is upside down. Whoever wants to be first should be a servant and slave to all. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. Jesus 
paid the ransom for us. We were in bondage, held in captivity, and Jesus paid the price to redeem us, to redeem mankind. And what he's saying to them is, if you want to be first, you need to become a servant and slave. Think about this. As I walked through this this week, this, this thought just really hit me. If we're going to be like Jesus, that means that we begin to love other people in such a way, serve other people in such a way that we're serving them in a way that they can't do for themselves. You know what I mean? We're, we're putting ourselves out there. Jesus paid a price that we couldn't pay. When you see people, when you go to serve, are you actually looking for the depth of what they can't do for themselves? What is the real need? And are you saying, Jesus, use me in that way? Like laying my life down for them. Or do we serve in a way that feels good to us? Because I don't know about you, but if I'm honest, there are a lot of times that I like to serve in a way that makes me feel good. I want to serve, and I'm out there with the right motive. I mean, I want to help people. Don't get me wrong. But I have a limit. Where was Jesus' limit? And he's really been pushing me on this one. Like, am I truly living with this principle of the last being first and the first being last? Am I really seeing a life of servitude, a life of serving others in the way of giving my life? Giving my life fully? Hmm. Finally, we come to a miracle received, and I think he kind of wraps up here in this. Um, it's amazing. Um, these two, two guys definitely experienced something amazing uh, in this miracle, but I honestly, you know, when you see miracles happen in Scripture, understand that they're always there for a purpose. Um, Jesus doesn't just do miracles willy-nilly, you know? It, it may seem like it's sometimes like, a miracle for you and a miracle for you, a miracle for everybody, you know? He's not Oprah, all right? It's, it's, um, it's truly with a, with a reason. And so this, as we walk into it in verse 29, is an incredible teachable moment for the disciples, I believe. As he's walking through all this, it's all on track. And Matthew records it for us this way. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind... Ugh. All right. So as Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. This, this might sound familiar to you, and I don't mean in the exact miracle, um, but I mean in this. To me, something that stuck out to me was when the children were trying to come to Jesus and the disciples in the crowd were trying to keep them away. And Jesus says, don't, you know, hinder not the children from coming to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom belongs to such as these. Like, let the kids come to me. And so here they are again. The, the blind men, children in absolute dependence are there crying out, Jesus, Jesus, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. I mean, they're crying out messianic language. This is huge. Lord, Son of David. They're declaring, you are the Christ. 
have mercy on us. They're, they're declaring something so bold here. And when they're told to stop, they just cry out louder. And then comes this line. What do you want me to do for you? Okay. You have two blind guys. What do you want me to do for you? Um, uh, we'd like to see. So was it really for them? Let's go back just a couple minutes ago, right? Remember James and John, when the mom brings them, and Jesus says to them, what is it that you want from me? I think he's bringing them right back to that moment again, and he's saying, hey, listen up, guys. Teachable moment. Listen to, this, listen to these guys. And um, it's amazing because these guys don't say, we want to we sit at your right and your left. They say, we, we just want to see. You're our only hope. You're our only hope. The difference is the blind men come in absolute dependence. Lord, we want our sight. So he touched their eyes, they received sight, and they what? Followed him. Done. I think this is where it has to start. I mean, this is, this is a great place for us to wrap up this morning. Having received our sight, we followed him, right? H- having been redeemed, forgiven, and set free, we followed him. Having received eternal and abundant life, we followed him. That's where it has to start. Remembering what he has done for us. Remembering that we couldn't do it for ourselves. We are absolutely dependent upon Jesus. We couldn't earn it, buy it, work for it, achieve it, accomplish it. We could only receive it. Jesus had to pay the ransom for us. And then offered it to us as a free gift. Real and eternal life, that is. A relationship with the living God. Life in his kingdom as his followers, as kids of the king. He offers this to us as a gift. And that's how we can learn to live his way, the upside down way, the way of servitude. Last will be first and first will be last. And and listen to this. We can't force ourselves to learn this. We can't break pride with simple willpower. Like little children or the blind men, we must live recognizing our absolute dependence upon Jesus. And when we recognize what he's done for us, we become eternally grateful. And that's the key. Because a heart of servitude is born out of a heart of gratitude. In our gratefulness for God giving us what we could not get for ourselves, we learn a life of serving others in ways that they can't help themselves. And ultimately, they too might find eternal life in Him. Servitude comes from gratitude. And we've got to start there. The last will be first and the first will be last.